PhD. Welcome to another edition of Horror Hookups from Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. I'm Maddie. And I'm Andrew. And we're back with a very special guest in our Horror Hookup series. And if this is your first time with Friday the 13th Horror Podcast, our Horror Hookup series brings you professionals in the horror genre. They might be actors, they might be directors, they might be authors, they might be... Um, Sasquatch hunters, psychics, mediums, we've had a little bit of everybody on the show, but we are very pleased to have with us one of our favorites today, Kate Siegel. Kate, how are you? Hi, guys. You know, I'm surviving, mm-hmm. <laughs> which how's is quarantine? my job as a final girl. It, it, absolutely. How's, how's quarantine treating you so far? Um, well, I'm lucky because I have a home and family and I'm safe. And I'm also struggling like every single person I know. So quarantine uh, is a bit like living in the first 10 minutes of a horror movie over and yeah. over again. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll talk about Hush soon in, in that vein as well. Mm. Um, so, Kate, of course, thank you so much for being on the show with us. It's awesome to have you here. We know our listeners are going to be so excited to hear from you. Um, and, you know, I was telling you just before we started the show today, um, just looking at your birthday on IMDb, we're both August babies. We're both from 1982. That was exciting for me. Yeah. And we're also both theater kids. I was a theater major at Indiana University. You were at Syracuse, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so you did a bit of Shakespeare, I know, too. It would be a lot of fun, I think, for all of us to hear a little bit about your theater background and how that led you into your film career now. Oh, my gosh. That is such a cool question. Um, yeah, I, I was one of those very dramatic children who wanted to be an actress from the time she could understand what an actress was. I always wanted to be doing plays with my family or, you know, just make-believe. And so I started going to theater camps at a young age, and I did a little bit of regional theater around Maryland and D.C., which is where I grew up. And then I applied to a bunch of theater schools and I went to Syracuse because I thought Syracuse was awesome and I like to ski and so, and it's a great (laughs) program. And they have a huge focus on Shakespeare. And so I did that. I spent some time uh, at the Globe Theater studying in their Mm. semester abroad program. And then when I graduated, uh, my dad passed away the year I graduated. Mm. And so I decided to move back to D.C. to be with my family for a bit. And if you're familiar, D.C. has an incredible Shakespeare scene and an incredible theater scene. It really is kind of the place to be if you want to do classical theater. And um, so I did 
Shakespeare. Uh, I understudied Juliet at the Folger. I uh, worked a bit in just in the area theaters, and I booked a play, an unnamed play, and I was so excited. It was my first real professional job. It was going to tour. It was going to be a big deal. And after the table read, I was fired. Oh, it no. It was heartbreaking. After the table read? Yeah. Oh, my God. What happened? I, have, I must have been really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was awful. I just um, cried for so long. And at the end of my kind of week-long breakdown, I had this realization, a little voice in my head that said, if I'm going to get shit on, I'm not getting shit on in Washington, D.C. I'm going to get shit on in the big markets. I'm going to get the biggest nose I can find. Amen. So I flipped a coin, and one side for New York, one side for L.A., and it said L.A., and I went to L.A., and I proceeded to get shit on for 13 years. <laughs> and then everything worked out. <laughs> well, I mean, Kate, you, you've certainly made a, self, made a name for yourself in horror, um, like a lot of our fans are big fans of. Um, were you a fan of the genre before you kind of got, you know, cemented into it? Oh, huge fan. I'm a huge reader of horror. I was a, great, a big consumer of horror. I love it. I think... Um, it gives us a safe space to explore the darkest parts of our personality and the darkest parts of our communities. And it's also a ton of fun to act. I think horror cinema and Shakespeare have a lot in common. There's often heightened situations, heightened language. Mm. It requires like a depth of acting and a level of skill and a level of make-believe of the performer that is a, a lot of fun to play in. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so one of your first movies, you know, working with your now husband, Mike Flanagan, uh, was on Oculus and where you played kind of this terrifying character of Marisol Chavez. Um, how do you even prepare for a role like that where you literally don't really have lines, but you're the like you're the scare factor? Well, um, the first thing I did for Marisol was spend a lot of time looking in the mirror at weird body positionings. <laughs> So that because she is the mirror, so it should be, you know, how when you look at yourself in a mirror, it's different than if you see yourself on video or um, in a picture because a mirror, the image is reversed. Right. So I wanted to find ways to incorporate that. And one of the things I don't even know if this ever anyone would ever notice this, but certainly gave me something to do was um, if you look at Marisol and the way she stands, I have rotated my arms completely outward. So when you stand normally, your wrists either face your in towards your body or back behind you. I just stood there with my wrists in the opposite way. Hmm. And it just oh. gave it a, a, sortly, a sort of unsettling position. Sure. And then in terms of performing it, the makeup and the wardrobe and the prosthetics were so effective that if I did anything scary, it was kind of like a hat on a hat. Yeah, and so, <laughs> sure. So what I decided to do after that was just be as maternal as I could be, that I wanted these children to love them and care about them. And so I would try to smile and make them feel comfortable, which is terrifying when you have a huge prosthetic (laughs) of no teeth. So those are my two major choices for Marisol. Weird body stuff and be a mom. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. And it it was highly effective. Um, Thinking about another role where you were insanely effective... Um, thinking about Theodora Crane mm. on The Haunting of Hill House, uh, 
Um, and Theo is a beloved character in a lot of ways, um, especially, I think, for LGBT fans of the show and of horror in general. And, you know, the entire show was such an emotional ride. Um, I cried in many episodes, also went to bed terrified in many episodes, mm-hmm. quite frankly. <laughs> um, but one particular episode, I believe it's episode three, Touch, um, centered on your character finally discovering the true nature of your patient's trauma. We know that that was a very difficult episode to film. How could it not be? Um, could you tell us you know, a little bit about that episode? But then also, you know, there's so much else about the show. We know that you were pregnant with your, you know, your daughter, who is also named Theodora after Theo in the show. Um, can you just tell us about the experience in general? Um, well, I'll start with touch and then that'll mm-hmm. kind of lead to the whole thing. Sure. We had a very interesting setup and we were lucky to do this, which was that Hill House was shot in a specific way, which is that first you had two separate kind of casts. You had the cast of the past with the kids and Henry and Carla. And then you had the present cast, which was present day Crane siblings and their families. And so we were already split in that way. And then since we shot basically in order, the first thing we did is everybody had their own individual bottle episode. And the first time we were all really together as Cranes was episode six, which was the one And so when I think back to that time in my life, it was very much like a family. Because as an adult, I had my time with Touch. The episode was basically me in my life and, and figuring out, uh, well, Theo's life, and figuring out Theo's relationship with the world and Theo's relationship with her powers and her job. Oh, we're about to have a special guest. My son Cody's about to <laughs> That's awesome. Gig Come on five. in. But, um, so anyway, I'm figuring out Theo's relationship with the world. And that was private and it was intimate and I had the full support of the crew because it really was Theo's episode and everybody else was there to serve Theo's episode. And so that was fulfilling and it was, um, I mean, the scripts were incredible and having Mike there to support me was insane. And the work of Michael Fiminari, again, who is our uh, DP, it does so much of the work for you because he set it up so specifically that if Theo, if I, Kate as Theo, turn my head slightly to the left to have a realization there's a light there that will shine on my face that does like 80% of the acting for me. So all I have to do is think the thought. And so it's this very graceful ballet when you're in a Flanagan production. And then you take all of us who have had this experience, this real, like it's about a week and a half, two weeks to shoot your own bottle episode. Hmm. And you've really created this character and then you throw these cannonballs at each other of the crane siblings because mm-hmm. we all have very different points of view on mm-hmm. what happened at the house we all have very different points of view about ghosts and each other and things like that and from that point on it was it was like this this beautiful violent nasty family reunion yeah and that was like the roller coaster ride of it for the rest of the show it was just it was such a fulfilling artistic experience and i i'm so grateful for netflix for intrepid pictures for mike for trevor macy for everybody who was there creating this world and letting us kind of eat each other alive and keeping <laughs> us safe during that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Theo's also totally unabashedly queer. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard from folks in the LGBT community about your portrayal? And maybe a little bit too about like, 
you know, in the original Shirley Jackson story, you know, we didn't have a queer character, um, you know, that we know of. Um, you know, wh why was it important for Theo to be queer? Well, I think Theo, Theodora in um, the Shirley Jackson novel is, hi, Giggles, what you doing? <laughs> Um, Theodora in the original novel is supposed to be one of be uh, supposed to be one of the first gay characters, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, and giggle pause. Hi. Hi, buddy. Sorry, work from home life. <laughs> God, you're life. totally fine. <laughs> okay. Um, she was one of the original gay characters. People read into that, and for a long time. She's one of the first queer people. There's this whole mm -hmm. supposition about Nell and Theo in the book. <laughs> Can you guys hear this? Yes. <laughs> Hi, buddy. I'm just, I'm, Cody, do you want to go ask Uncle James for a cookie? No. Cookies no. are fantastic. <laughs> They're so good. Not. He wants to swing on, swing on me. Ah. <laughs> so anyway, I think that much like in this interview, representation is key. Yeah. There are a million different ways to be a mother and there are a million different ways to be a queer character. And it was important to us that Theo was human first and queer second. Yeah. That absolutely. she didn't have shame around it. She didn't have trauma around it because we are luckily, I think, approaching an era where people are allowed to be queer without violence. And those people want representation too. Right. Mm -hmm. And whereas there was some like fear about coming out to her family, they all responded very well. Yeah. And Theo was allowed to have a girlfriend without people being weird about it. And the more we, we dove into queer just being an aspect of her life as opposed to the defining characteristic of her, right. mm -hmm. I think that helps with representation. And without the, to make a, a leap, without the experience I had on Hush, where I kind of fucked up the representation thing, hmm. I wouldn't have known how important it was to really integrate the sexuality of the character or the abilities, disabilities, any of them, to integrate them into the character and just create a person. Hmm. So, and I think the community has responded well to that. And I, I, I think feel so grateful too. for that support. You know, the, the, your, the, your portrayal of this is not just blowing smoke at you, but your, your portrayal reads with, uh, with a great deal of authenticity. And I think that's why, you know, especially for, for Andrew and I, you know, Andrew, you can speak for yourself here too, but I imagine you'd agree that, um, you know, having a queer character in a story like this and having more queer characters in horror in general has been so important uh, to mm -hmm. us and especially to, to our audience as well. Yeah, I think it is. Um, and thank you. Because someone, you know, it, it's on the internet. And so yeah. as a queer person myself, I didn't feel like I had to do anything to put it on, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just am. like, yeah. And just like all the people I know in the community, just are people. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we talk about representation, that's what I hope we can move towards, is just people being people. Yeah, for sure. But it is, um, I think... But it's also important, sorry, one more time. It's no, also no, important yeah. that Theo is a lesbian and is identified as a lesbian and is called a lesbian. And it's not like she's just a person, la la la. No, it is important that it is clear that it, she's a For lesbian. Sure. Like mm -hmm. that, yeah. I think that kind of stuff also is important in representation, that we don't shy around it or we don't kind of 
say it, don't say it. Yeah. Well, it's so easy to kind of go down that route where, mm-hmm. you know, we, we show it, but we don't say it. And I think yes. it's so important to like say it out loud and be proud of it. Yeah. Absolutely. But, um, so it's been kind of reported with some of your cast members, uh, and I'm kind of asking for you now too, is that they were a bit traumatized by some of the spooks in the show. And there's one particular scare that freaking it, it blew me off my couch Big and it's, time. uh, it's when you're in the car with your other sibling and there's, if you so haven't crazy. seen it yet, sorry guys, spoiler alert, but, um, that kind of got me. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that kind of affected you? Well, I mean, that was, that was like a gift. Mama! <laughs> That's the type of thing that, you know, you would beg for in theater or film because yeah. Victoria, Mama! much like this. Beg for this. Um, but Victoria is such a, an incredible actress, and Mike's scare was so well-placed because we'd gone almost eight full episodes without a jump scare like that. So we were all lulled into a real sense of security, like a false sense of security that the audience and the cast. And so Mike had pulled Victoria aside and said, I know it says that you jump in. Yes, Cody. Look up there by the window. Oh, I need to look at the window? Sorry. It's a shark. It's Jaws. It's a Jaws I was going to say, is it the Jaws poster? Yeah. Looks like it. It's going to eat people. It's going to eat people. So Victoria is uh, pulled aside and, and said, I know that on this point in the script is where you're supposed to jump in, but feel free to do it whenever you want. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which wow. is not something Mike says a lot. He's very committed to what's on the page and delivering what's on the page. And so Reese and I are just like off to the races with this fight that we are ready to, to dig into. And what you see in that episode is the first take when Victoria jumped in Whoa. early. And that's the legitimate response between two of us because we had another page and a half of dialogue. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's wow. insane. That's also, insane. I, I screamed my ass off right there. Me too. too. That was Aton. <laughs> Um, so speaking of Hill House as well, um, as, as we go through this, we're really looking forward to Haunting the Blind Manor. And of course, we're excited that you're part of it. Um, what can you tell us about the new season coming up? Oh, God. basically nothing. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> we signed so- that it's going to be very scary and very... Yeah, you found it. You did a great job. I did a great job. Um, so... That sorry, uh, my phone threw the thing. Uh, about Haunting of Hill House season two, I can ke- tell you basically nothing because we sign yeah. a pile of papers. But what I can mm-hmm. tell you is that it's uh, going to be just as scary, if not scarier. And you'll see both new faces and familiar faces in yes. ways that you haven't seen them before. Uh, that's so exciting. Oh, that's uh, yeah. We're really looking forward to it, and we're so happy that you're a part of it. Yeah. And um, we know that I'm so grateful. We know that when we um, talked with Alex Esso, you know, she, you guys are kind of, you know, working together. And so that's really exciting because we're big fans of her. I love Alex Esso. She's so fucking cool, dude. She's such, the, she's the coolest chick. But um, so basically we've both revisited Hush in the last kind of week or so. And honestly, there's not enough Xanax in the world to get us through that movie because it is so... It's so uh, stressful, Kate. I have an anxiety attack every time I watch it, and I've watched it like four times. That's four anxiety attacks. It's a lot. 
So what was it like to play, you know, a deaf and mute character, of course, and did you know ASL before? Did you have to learn some of that for the role? Kind of talk us through a little bit about some of your um, your parts in Hush, because it's it's really centered around that central character and kind of her relationship with the killer. Yes. Um, so Maddie is a character that they call latent deaf, which means she became deaf um, when she was around 13 and uh, lost her ability to speak at the same time. So it's not uh, something she was born with, it was something she came into and uh, through trauma. And so that to me was a great way to get into it because obviously I can speak and I can hear. And so to do an impression of that, I thought would have been insulting. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do was think about uh, her desire to communicate and the things that stand in the way of her being able to do that. And so in the performance, that's what I focused on because I think we all can identify with that feeling, trying to communicate Mm -hmm. an idea and not being understood and being uh, uncomfortable with the way we're communicating but doing our best and and the isolation that can bring or the feelings of loss or the feelings of anger. And so from a performance aspect, I focused more on that than uh, trying to become or imitate a deaf person. Mm-hmm. And then um, I uh, learned the ASL that I needed for the for the script because it was just such a quick and short and guerrilla production mm-hmm. that I didn't really have time to delve in as much as I would have liked to into the entire experience of ASL because it's also, I found out it's regional. And so mm-hmm. the way uh, it can be performed in California would have been different than Alabama. And so much like there are accents in mm-hmm. um American dialects, there are accents in ASL dialects, like that's American Sign Language, there's European, mm-hmm. so any of that. And that was really cool, but I just didn't have the time to mm-hmm. to spend the six to eight months I would have wanted to. Sure. And so those two things, that was really the double approach, was learning to communicate the physical ASL that I needed to do for my lines, but more thinking about what kind of person Maddie would have become with those roadblocks in her way. Sure. And, you know, the, the brutality of Hush was just insanely brutal. There's no other word yeah. for it. Um, what was the stunt l- work like on this film? How much did you do as opposed to somebody else filling in? Um, how hard did you have to train for that? Because it was just so incredibly physical for you, but, like, also for the killer, who I hate, by the way. I hate that man. Um, <laughs> but, like, and you guys both had to, to train pretty hard for that, I imagine. Yeah, it's all us. There were no stunt doubles. We didn't wow, have any money. Gracious. And we worked with a stunt guy named Chuck Borden, who also did Oculus. Mama! Mama, yes. Hi, baby. Okay. Um, and so we worked with Chuck Borden, who we also worked with on Oculus. And we did the stunts as safely as we could. And uh, we trained pretty hard. But again, like we were just on a time crunch. And mm-hmm. so a lot of it was the feel of like, well, I guess we're just going to do this and hope that nothing terribly wrong happens, terribly bad happens. And Chuck was as careful as he could. Yes, honey. You're going backwards. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Oh, you guys, this is going to be such a ridiculous interview to air. Oh my God, no. Sorry. Kate, this is, this is awesome. And actually I'll tell you what, I'll tell you this right now. Since your kids are right here and, yeah. we're, and we're hearing this, and you know, our, our fans have kids too. Kids are all over the place. I, yeah. I'm, I'm from a family of nine children. I'm the ninth yes. child, so I get kids. Um, you are the star 
of some great horror productions. <laughs> when will your kids, do you think, what age will they first watch Hush? I tend to think 16 is a great age for Hush. Hush doesn't have the things that that the world would say are bad for kids, like cursing or nudity. Yeah, but Hush enough. has a sense of like anything, something terrible could happen to you at any time. And what I love about Hush is that uniformly, when I get approached for, for Hush, it's normally girls between the ages of about 16 and 22. Huh. And I remember, vividly remember, as you know, as a fellow 38-year-old to be, <laughs> I have vivid memories of being that age, around 16 to 22, and feeling like the world was a terribly scary place. Oh, yeah. And nobody understood me. And I didn't know how I was going to survive. And I didn't know who I was going to be on the other end of it. I think it's a great movie for people who are experiencing trauma in their late teen years. Because Maddie is a, she's not a perfect, um, she's not a perfect final girl. She makes mistakes. She doubts herself. She, she falls uh, into her own traps. But, um, but she works her hardest to survive and she does and i think that's a lesson i would want my kids to learn around that age amen to that's that. awesome yeah um so one more thing uh with hush and then we'll kind of you know move on um but we, it's just such a seminal role in your career i and we 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 love it um but like how was your um your personal relationship with the actor that played the killer because he's obviously like the worst in the movie but um, um did you guys get along yeah, off screen like great great actor real life. yeah he is his name is john gallagher jr and he's like the best guy he's laid back he's super into music and he's super cool um he's also just an insanely talented scene partner just to, when he took that mask off, that response was legitimately like my whole body chilled because his face was different. Oh it was God. not the person I would hang out with when we weren't shooting. It was not. It was not. Um, he's being kids being removed. <laughs> um, it is not the person I would hang out with when we were not shooting. He had done something, uh, you know to just his persona that was so mm -hmm. profound. Um, but yeah, he's great was, was I guess the, sh the short, long and short of it. <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. Cause if he was really a sadistic asshole, yeah. this would be a problem. Well, he, two things that I've always wanted to know was that he and Mike have a backstory for that guy. Really? That no, oh. they never told me. They've <gasps> never told anyone. Huh. Oh, so, interesting. Me too. He won't tell. John will not tell. Uh, so, so that's my first interesting thing. And the second is once shooting started, he and I started keeping our distance a bit to mm. create a little bit less of the, um, familiarity. I think he wanted to scare me a little bit. And I always really, I always really appreciated that because that's awesome. it, you can act it. Yes. But if it's given that little extra boost by a cast member of like doing you the favor of, of creating a sense of, um, the unknown, that can be really helpful. Sure. Yeah. So, um, apart from, you know, the haunting of, uh, what's, what's next for Kate Siegel? Like what's going on? Like, I mean, obviously um, quarantine, but like, well, <laughs> the day before we're supposed to start shooting midnight mass, which is the next uh, series, yep. we got shut down. 
Okay. So oy, oy, oy. the second quarantine ends, we're all back to Canada to go do our next show. And that awesome. is incredible. I mean, if you loved Hill House, this is going to blow your mind. Can't wait. And also, Kate, I need you to tell Zach Guilford, or as I still call ah! him, in my heart, Matt Saracen, Saracen, that I still have a crush on him. Um, and I... I'll do anything that he ever needs. That, that's all I have to say, really. Just we'll let him know. We'll do anything he ever needs. I'll be sure to let him know that. Sure. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, Kate, um, thank you so much for being on the show with us. We have yeah. one more thing that we're doing now. Just a little lightning round of questions. So, Andrew and I will just sort of ping back and forth and ask you these. First thing that comes to mind, just let us know what you got. Andrew, you want to start? Sure. Kate, what is your, and I know this is the, the question that all people fear, but what is your favorite horror movie? Um, the Thing. Oh, great choice. Great answer. Yes. <laughs> What's your favorite city? London. Oh, good choice again. <laughs> what, is your, what is your deepest fear? Dying alone. <laughs> Who's your favorite monster? Um, oh, Mordred from the Dark Towers. Dark oh. Towers. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. You, you are an um, 80s baby. I, I absolutely am. I'm like, especially the dying alone part. Jesus, Kate. Spiders. The answer should be spiders. Oh, gosh. Um, what about your favorite golden girl? Oh, my God. Uh, Rose. Oh, sweet Rose. Mm-hmm. And finally, if you were a drag queen, what would your drag name be? Oh, golly day. I uh... This one I know I'm supposed to answer. You might have just said it right there. Oh my god, it's Golly Day! (laughs) It's Golly Day. Oh, that's great. Oh my gosh, I would be such the perfect Southern woman, except like Mm -hmm. I'd be wearing bondage underneath the perfect Southern dress. Oh my god, Um, Andrew, do you want Andrew, do you want to tell Kate what my drag name is that you gave me years ago? Why don't you just why don't you just say it? Andrew gave me my drag name and it is Tori Anus. I love it. Kate, it was a blast having you on Friday the 13th. Thank you so much. Thank you also to your son for being a guest here, too. It was fun to have him. Yeah, thanks to all the listeners for allowing my actual life to seep into my work life. (laughs) We loved it. And honestly, like, um, you know, we've been ping-ponging back and forth for a little while now. So I really, truly, honestly appreciate you taking the time to do this. We are very honored to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So, All right. folks, thank you so much for joining us again for another horror hookup. Remember to please rate and review us on whatever thing you're listening to us on right now. Um, okay. Andrew, did I miss anything? Any other announcements right now? I think all we have to do is help remind our listeners to get, get slayed. slayed.